That's huge. I need you to be a fan right it's now. It's so huge. I know, it's really, really big. I need you to be a man right now. What are you doing? I'm recording. Why? <laughs> ah, I can't do this. Look like how big that thing is. I know, it's really big. <laughs> it's like quarter size. Oh my god. Mm. I don't know what kind of spider that is. Well, it's not a poisonous one because poisonous ones can't crawl up on. They don't. They hey, like, where'd you hear that? Because I. I hate. I like, I like to learn about what I hate. Oh God! You can do it. Be a man. Now's your time. Do you want paper towels? I want paper towel. How am I supposed to kill with a paper towel? Squish it. And ah! No! <laughs> ah, that thing is huge. I know it's really big. It's but really I, huge. Oh God! I need you to be. I can't do this because I'm. You're taller than me. I can't do this. I'm closer to the ceiling. I only subjected you to one. I think it's funny because I look at that guy and I go, I would never say, be a man. So I feel like he'd knock my block off. He was like seven feet tall, bearded. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, you look at that guy, you're like, I don't think he's ever been accused of not being a man. He was one of those guys in junior high that had the full beard, you know, and was like, what do you want? And here, but isn't that the way life is? I mean, honestly, when it comes to fear, think about it. Fear isn't always rational. I don't know if you saw the spider. He's like, it's quarter size. It was up in the corner on the ceiling, you know, and you could barely see it. I've seen that thing like four times, and I'm still like, okay, oh yeah, there's the spider. It's so small. He's got a shoe and an IQ, right? (laughs) You only need to be 2% smarter than what you're going to kill. And it's not that hard with a little itty-bitty spider. And yet it's irrational, right? He's so afraid. He's so afraid. And even all the logical arguments, you're closer to the ceiling. Oh, you know, you get put him to it. He can't do it. I, I know you're probably not like him and you never have had an irrational fear in your life, right? Me neither. doesn't exist. So I'm going to post some hypothetical irrational fears here to you. Uh, maybe you can identify. So how about that awesome... Just amazing single person. That's a really, you know, you just, you're just like, wow, this is such a cool person. And you, they have that fear of always being alone. And you're like, how, how can you, you're amazing. You're going to find the right person. Oh, no, no, I feel like I'm always going to be alone. Totally irrational. How, how about the great worker who applies themselves daily to their job? Has that fear that, that, that maybe that they're not good enough and the, the employer is going to eventually let them go because I just know it. I just know it. And, and everyone's like, what are you talking about? You're, you're like the, the last one they would let go. You're so amazing. Or, or this is a good one. The mom who truly is an awesome mom. Like really a good mom. Like a mom that you wish you had when you were growing up. I've said that to my wife a number of times. I love my mom. I know she listens to these, so please, Mom, understand. No, but, but I, go, I go, man, you're such a great mom. You really are. And I tell my wife that. But, but there are women out there that, that they're great. Maybe they're a great mom, or maybe you're a great dad, but you have this fear that one day your kids are going to wise up and see that you're really not. But you really are. But you feel like you're not. You have that fear. How about the servant leader who constantly pours his life into people and, and, and just really just... They love the people they work with and they work with them really hard, but there's that constant state of fear that they live in under the surface 
that those same people that they work for and help and, and serve will truly one day reject them. You see, fear isn't always rational, is it? It's just not. It can be very unpredictable. And we can have those fears that they really don't have a valid, like, logical thing like this guy. You don't need to be scared of the spider, dude. But he is. I'm the same way with heights. My, my, my dad used to say, why are you afraid of heights? It's all in your head. And I, I go, no, it's not in my head. It's on the ledge when I look over. That's where it is. And I don't have a fear of heights. I have a fear of falling. I don't want to fall. <laughs> yeah, some of you are... And I know it's not logical. And they say, well, what you really have to do is jump out of a plane. I go, no. No, I don't. No, not at all. <laughs> that's, not, that's not what I need to do. You go take a long jump out of a plane. Right? So it's, it's not really rational. But we all have fears that, make, that don't make sense, much sense on the surface. But deep down inside of our core, there's this root issue where all these fears come from. And it really breaks down to trust. And I've been really excited in this last sermon series as we've been going through the book of Joshua. And we're looking at this concept of fearless. Being fearless. Living the fearless life. And we see this through Joshua and the Israelites. As, as God has called them to, to live out their faith. Which, in its essence, is what faith is. I, I love, I, a lot of times we take faith and we make it a noun. We make it this thing. But, but the reality is, faith is a verb. See, we don't just have faith, we're faithing. And the Israelites got that. The Israelites didn't just think about God. Or, or, or put their mind on God. They knew that they were following God. That they were living a life directed by him and they were faithing every day and in that they were able to understand this concept of the fearless life and so what we really have looked at and i i have the um notes down here and i this is something you can fill in because i really want to get get this main concept of the book of joshua and this is it it all comes down to trusting the person and plan of god And if you get anything out of this series, this is my hope for you. That you daily walk through life trusting the person and plan of God. That's my hope. Because that's what Joshua learned and the Israelites learned as they faced the obstacles. And definitely fear-based things in front of them. But today, we are looking at that concept of when it doesn't make sense. Because that's what I believe we have in Joshua chapter 5. When what God puts us through, because this is a question I had, fears can be irrational, right? We can have these irrational fears. But what happens when we trust the person and the plan of God and we're following him, but he leads us to a place where it doesn't make sense? You you, you get what I'm saying? I mean, some of you have been there. I, I, I know you have. Because if you live longer than one day in the Christian faith, God has taken you to a place, led you down the road, picked you up, dragged you along, however he's doing it, and he's taken you to a place where you're like, I'm not getting this, God. Where, to some extent, God doesn't fit anymore in the little carton or box or vessel that you've made for him. You have to make a bigger box. And by the way, there'll never be a big enough box for the person of God and the plan of God in your life. But this is what happens. And a lot of people, what happens is, they, 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 they have this, God doesn't fit, and so they go, well, God's not real, and they walk away. 
But the reality is, he just doesn't fit their plan or their box for the person of God or the plan of God. See, real trust is not putting him in that box. We do this in relationships all the time. We do this with people. When people don't fit the mold that we've placed for them, we either make a new mold or we walk away. And see, the Israelites here have learned to trust. See, what I love is when we see this, um, when God doesn't really make sense, we see this, by the way, in in a lot of aspects. I'm going to take you through scripture here. Uh, First of all, Abraham. This is a good example. Abraham is told he will be a father of many nations. Now, if you know the story of Abram, it's pretty cool because God comes to him, right, and says, you're going to be the father of many nations. And Abram's like, can I just have one kid? Because I can't be a father unless I get at least one kid. He's a hundred years old when he finally gets a kid. Sarah, 90. Can you imagine? And it's not like, you know, wombs were more fresh back then. Okay? 90 years old. They finally have a baby. Does that make much sense? Not at all. Not at all. And then, years later, God says, Okay, take your son, your one and only son, the one that you love, and go sacrifice him. What? What? How about David? God sends Samuel to anoint him king of all Israel. Only so David could spend the next two decades living in caves, running from Saul, worried for his life, living with outcasts, pretending to be crazy, going into the the, the nations that were surrounding him that hated the Jews. I mean, you talk about... Wait, what? God, this doesn't make much sense. How about Mary and Martha? This is a great one, right? Jesus is doing his ministry of healing people. Helping people, miracles. He's the Messiah. They've put their faith in him and they're looking to him. And Mary and Martha send word and said, Our brother, he's sick. The one you love, he's sick. Lazarus. And Jesus says, I'll be there. Give me three days. What? But he's dying now. And finally, when Jesus shows up, the stone has already been put in place. In fact, Mary says, Lord, He's been dead for three days. There's a great stink. In the, in the King James it says, He stinketh. <laughs> He's been dead a long time. And Jesus weeps. God, God doesn't make sense sometimes. Or, or Peter, as he sits and listens to Jesus the Messiah... And he's put his trust in him. says, Who, where else will we go? Who else will we go to? There's no one else that has the words of life. And all of a sudden, the words that start coming out of Jesus' lips are, I'm going to die. I'm going to the cross. And if you're Peter, you, you, you probably would have done the same thing like Peter did and go, Lord, you're, you're talking crazy talk. You've been drinking too much wine? Because that's not making any sense. What do you mean you're going to go die? You're the Messiah. You're supposed to kill all the bad guys. Set up your throne. Make it happen. Or how about as the the disciples, brave enough to see, mostly the women who are brave enough, go and see Jesus hanging on the cross and take his last breath and die. See, there are many experiences in the Bible. And I'm sure I could sit here and I'm going to illuminate some of them from my own life and other people I've talked to in the, in the course of the next 30 minutes, but where, where God doesn't really make much sense. And, and, and it's hard to say, 
I'm going to trust the person and the plan of God, even when it doesn't make sense. But isn't this at the cornerstone of the simple fact that he's God and not us? See, if we're going to trust God, we have to come to that simple fact that he's the one in charge, not me. That's trust. Trust has to be in the person and plan of God if we're going to live a fearless life. But it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be easy. And, and that's the part that I want to talk to you about today. We really want to look at this because I believe in Joshua chapter 5, we see this. See, how about those difficult times in your life where, this, where there seems to be more suffering than anything? Or a relationship that's almost been completely shredded. Or maybe something's wrong with your body. You need some money. You need a job. You've got a kid who is in trouble. And you say, God, help, help, help. And instead of it getting better, it goes straight to impossible. And you're left wondering why God doesn't make sense. The truth is that if you place the person and plan of God first in your life, you will experience this. You will. I I wish I can stand up here and say, trust God, and tomorrow in your driveway will be a Lamborghini. That would be easy. It really would. But that's such a small God, isn't it? For the For the complex, difficult, broken world we live in, we need a God whose plan is way bigger and way more complex than I'll trust you and you make everything easy for me. So this is where we find Joshua and the Israelites in Joshua chapter 5. But I want to give you our take-home truth for today and it's really simple. It says this, fearless living means we walk in weakness Obeying his word. Fearless living. To really be fearless means we walk in our own weakness, obeying his word. All right, if you can stand, we're going to read Joshua chapter 5. It's not too long, but there's some really interesting stuff going on in here. And uh, Jason is very glad that he didn't have to preach it. And you'll see why soon. Now, when all the Amorite kings... West of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they had crossed over. Their hearts melted in fear. And they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. You can see why Jason didn't want to preach about this. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeath Haraloth which literally translated is hill of foreskins. If you don't know what I'm talking about, talk to your parents. They can thank me later. Now, this is why he did so. All those who came out of Egypt, because you're probably thinking, why would he do that? All the men of military age died in the wilderness on the way after leaving Egypt. So verse 5, all the people that came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness during the journey from Egypt had not. So the Israelites had moved about in the wilderness for 40 years until all the men who were of military age when they left Egypt had died, since they had not obeyed the Lord. So for the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land he had solemnly promised their ancestors to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised up their sons in their place, and these were the ones Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained there where they were in the camp until they had healed. 
Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgah on this day. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgah on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites. But that year, they ate the produce of Canaan. Okay, you can be seated. Now, there's a lot going on here. I'm not going to go into too much detail of circumcision, and you're welcome. But if you're interested in that, there's plenty of information on the Internet. Just be careful how you search, okay? Um, But here we see the Israelites, okay, and Joshua entering the land through a huge divine miracle. One of the biggest miracles of of all. I mean, the, the Jordan stops, right? And they walk through on dry land. And it literally says that the hearts of the kings melted with fear. The people, no one was going to face them. I mean, this is big. This is like, you you know, you go into the job interview and everybody before goes, I'm giving it to him. Why? Because if we don't, we're in trouble. I mean, don't you want that job interview? Right? Or you go in to to discipline your kids. And before you say anything, your kids go, you are 100% right. I know exactly how wrong I am. You get what I'm saying? I mean, it's preparing the hearts of the people before you even talk. Before you do anything. And so, if you're Joshua, you do what we have known for a long time, which is common sense, right? You strike the, the anvil while the hammer, the iron is hot, right? You attack right away. You don't sit around. You have the tactical advantage. You see? No. God doesn't do that. Instead, He says, Oh, well, the battle's already won. And instead of rushing in and charging and having the, the full blitz here and taking the, fa- the field because you've got the home court advantage, no. You make flint knives and you don't attack them with it, you cut yourself. You, you, you do something that probably isn't what normally people would do. And if anybody looking at it, they'd be like, wait, wait, they just did what? They, they just did what? See, fearless living means we follow God's word over our own. Let me explain this. Um, at that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites, Israelites all uh, again, right? Basically, take every fighting man that's going to stand up just in case they come in because there's still that chance they didn't necessarily know that all the people were, were afraid of them. Okay, We know that in hindsight, but they didn't all know that. And I want you to make it where you can't fight for the immediate two to three weeks to follow. Because medically speaking, what they did was a procedure, I'm not going to tell you about it again, there's Google, but it would have taken two to three weeks to really get over that. And a full six to eight weeks to be up to full 100% health. Do do, do you get what's going on here? And we're talking nowadays, that's what it would take. With ibuprofen, anesthesia, metal knives, not knives made of rocks. It's like God is is doing something where he's trying to show them it's not about them. In the Middle Eastern culture, it was a patriarchal culture. It was all about the man. You see, when you made a promise to somebody and you were to buy their camel, you would do what they call swearing upon their thigh. That means you would grab... Now, please, I'm I'm only telling you what they would do. You would grab their manhood in your hand and grab their thigh and you would swear upon it. 
And the reason you did that was because if you break that, you will no longer ever have kids. See, that was a sacred thing back then. I mean, it's, it's pretty hardcore when you think about it. And so what God is doing is, hey, you know those, that area you, of you, man, where you get all your, your virility, where you get all your testosterone, where you get all your power, where you're just, ah, ha, 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 cut it. But, but, but God, we just came in there. No, cut it. You're going to sit back for two to three weeks, six to eight. It, it's like he wants to show that he's in charge. He has the power. Not you. Not me. And, and a part of me kind of says, I wonder if Joshua had a little argument with God. Before, you know, he's hearing it. Wait, God, did I hear you right? You, you want me to do what? See, God wants to remind not just his people, not just us, but the entire world that it's his strength that wins the ultimate battle. It's his strength, not ours. It's his power, not yours. His word over our own will be what makes all the difference. I love what Dr. Redpath says. Uh, Dr. Redpath was a commentator and a preacher way back in the 1900s. He said this, The rite of circumcision was an outward testimony to the fact that the land was be, to be possessed in what? The weakness of the flesh. The land was to be taken. The land was to be possessed. The land was to be given over to the Israelites, not because they were so mighty, not because they were so strong, not because they had all the experience and all the power and they knew all the stuff and they could do spreadsheets like crazy and they, they could sell like nobody's busy. And you step aside, let me take care of business because I know what I'm doing. You get what I'm saying here? Because some of us have been in that room with those people and maybe you yourself were one of those people. I know I've been there. But God says, not, not in that power. I love what Red Path says. It's the weakness of the flesh. And nothing says weak like circumcision. It symbolized the weakness and almost death, as it were, of everything man can be. You see? It symbolizes the death of that. In order that the possession of the land should be given to them unmistakably in the sovereign grace of God. Not you. God. Not her. God. Not him. God. How? God. He gets the glory. He gets the majesty. He gets, he gets the prize. When I came to this church, I honestly thought, after one year, we'd have to sell this place. Because we'd be too big. I thought that. Right? I thought, man... We're going to get in here. God has called us. I know where we're going. I've felt his call. I've heard his call. I know he's directly leading me here and my family. And we all felt it. We felt the call. I mean, people were coming up saying, I know this is what God is telling you to do. I know this is what God is saying. You go in there. And, and, and all my plans were circumcised. I, I'm not trying to be crass. I'm just trying to be real. Because I know you've been there. You, you feel like God's led you to a place. He's leading you to a place. He's taking you to this spot. And all of a sudden, he doesn't make any sense. And he calls you to do something. Or he's taking you down this road. And it's like, God, I don't get this. But you have that choice. Because again, fearless living means you follow his word over your own. I, I just lost my job because I distinctly remember you telling me to be at home more than my family and spend more time, m more time investing in them. And now 
I just get the word that I might be fired and I might be losing my house or I'm, I'm doing what you called me to do and now I don't have enough money to pay my bills. God, you brought me here and now I'm just, this is nuts. It's not making any sense. I almost lost my husband to cancer and a few years later, my sister was diagnosed with it and gone in three months. Lord, I am weak. I need to see your strength. I'm trusting you, but I'll tell you right now, it's not making much sense. See, the truly amazing part about this passage is not what God tells them to do. It's what they did. Because in verse 3, it's like, God said it, we'll do it. And they did it. And Joshua just went, it's going to happen. And this is the amazing thing. All the men said, if God said it, let's do it. That is not something you're going to see today in a lot of people. I'll tell you right now. There would be committee after committee after committee if God said, this is what I want all the men to do. It wouldn't happen. (laughs) I, I, I doubt that would happen. And yet here we have it. They listen to God's word over their own. See, this is, the, this, is, this is what they got. They got the fact that fearless living means God's power is found in our weakness. I, I, I knew a guy that was raised in anger. His father was a beat cop, and he was an angry person. Very angry person. In fact, so angry that he would typically take out his anger on this guy that I knew. And he would beat him, and beat him. And he was a rageaholic. And this is what he was raised in. And then, as this guy got older, he went to Vietnam. And lo and behold, he got more and more angry. And he got this little thing called PTSD. And he himself was a raging rageaholic. When he got a family, he couldn't help himself. And every now and then, he would beat on his kids. And he hated himself for it. And he would take them together. He would apologize. He would ask for forgiveness. And he didn't know why he did it. But nobody knew that he did it. Nobody knew that this would happen. In fact, this guy I know was somebody big in the church. People would trust this guy. People would be like, I know you. I trust you. You're a godly person. And every now and then he would lose his temper and beat his kids. It wasn't until he started to listen to what God said, trust in God and say, you know what, God, I'm weak. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust in your power in my weakness. And he went to counseling. He started to talk about it. Now you talk him today and it's like, oh yeah, I used to do this. And he's not, he's not shy of this. He's not shy. He'll tell you exactly his problems. He'll tell you everything about... He doesn't hide anything because he knows that God's power is made perfect in his Weakness. And he shares this. And you know what? This guy wouldn't hurt a fly today. He's one of those people that I look at and I go, I know God's real. Because this guy is changed. It's amazing. It's a miracle. It's God. Working in the power of our weakness. Every day that you follow his word over your own is a day that you will see God moving in power over your weaknesses. You see, every day that I'm not critical with the people around me, because I'm a champion critic, I'm a champion critic, people, and there are days when I just criticize, criticize, criticize. But the days that I don't, that's God. Because I recognize, and I go before Him, and I say, God, I'm a critical person. Help me in that. That's my weakness. I need your power to be made perfect in my weakness. And those are the days 
that God moves through me and I'm a loving person and I'm not a critical person. Fearless living, third, means that we have confidence in the covenant we have in Jesus. You see, the Israelites hadn't been able to experience the presence of God since the rebellion in the desert. See, this wasn't the first time that the Israelites had gotten to the promised land. If you remember, uh, Moses sent in the spies, and they sent in all these spies to go over into the land and check it out. And only two of the spies, Caleb and Joshua, came back and said, we can do this, not because we're strong enough, but because God is bigger. All the other spies said, no, no, there's giants there. There be giants. We out. And they convinced the people. And the people, even though God had said, Obey me. Follow my word. Your weakness. I will show my power. They disobeyed. And so God, it says that literally after that, there, there, was, there was a time where God's presence stepped away. And God was not a part of that. And so the people didn't, didn't get to experience God's presence. And a part of that was the circumcision. And so these people hadn't been circumcised yet. Because that was the covenant that God had made with his people. That he would be with them. But as soon as they obeyed God's words over their own, God renewed their covenant with him. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. This is a great word, reproach. It's actually um, harpa. Harpa is an interesting word. It, It literally means a condition of shame, a condition of disgrace. To some extent... A debilitating regret. We've all experienced harpa. This is a condition that many of us have experienced. See, they carried with them the shame and disgrace of their parents' choices. They carried their parents' responsibility whether they wanted it or not. They carried this shame, this grace from the wanderings and from the regrets. And it caused the fears. And let me just say... Many of us, whether it was from ourself or from how we were raised or other people's decision, carry this condition of shame, disgrace, and regret. But see, this is the beauty of the Lord. He puts, he, he, the only way you can take away fear truly is to be confident in someone above the fear. It's like the kid. Who, who says, I'm so scared, but the big dad comes in and says, I got this. And the kid looks at the dad and says, I'm not afraid anymore, because my dad's bigger. Do, do, do you get it? I mean, that's the simple fact here. God says, I'm going to renew my covenant with you, because there's nothing bigger than me. Nothing. And yet, we hold on to the harpa of our past. We all have shame and disgrace from others or ourselves. From our wanderings, we have regrets. And it stays with us, causing fears that don't make much sense at all, but they still haunt us. That's why I love this passage. Because we see here that we have a God who wants to roll away your shame and disgrace, to take away the reproach, to take away the harpa, to take away the regret. This is why he sent his one and only son. Because see, he does it. And he shows them this to the Israelites right before. As they're sitting there and they're getting you know, recovered and they're like, man, what's going on? What is God doing? God's like, I'm at work in you and I am taking away the shame. I am taking away the disgrace. I am working in your heart so you no longer are that old person wandering in the desert. You are free and you're going into the promised land. Amen? That's what's happening. This is why believers in Christ 
are the most fearless people I've ever met. People who are truly trusting in the plan and the person of God are fearless because they know it's not about them. They are free with their weakness. You can't hurt me. I've already hit bottom. (laughs) It's like what they say about the most dangerous person in the world is the, the person that has nothing to lose. The most fearless person in the world is someone who knows you can't take anything from them because God is in charge. And you know what? Whether he gives or he takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. This is why believers, again, are so fearless. Their weakness is actually where God is strong. The abuse they went through no longer defines them. The neglect they suffered through no longer holds them back. The lack of self-worth and affirmation is no longer a weight on who they are in the strength of the relationship with Christ. Paul says, I'm the chief of all sinners. Amen! That's amazing to think of. He was a Pharisee of all Pharisees. He would never admit weakness. Now he's like, I'm proud of my weakness. Why? Because God is stronger. And God even uses me. Someone who, who did such horrible things. God uses me. You can't take anything from me. Paul states this in Philippians chapter 3. I love this. In verse 3 he says, For it is we who are the what? Circumcision. Cut away from the old man. Given newness of life, right? We who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in what? Our strength? No, in Christ Jesus. King Jesus. He puts Christ Jesus in front, right? Christ means King. King Jesus, the one in charge. And by the way, who also put no confidence in the flesh. Trusted in God. Do you trust the confidence of the covenant of Jesus. Lastly, fearless living means that we continue to walk in his promises whether we see the provisions or not. And this is the part where it's hard because it's not making much sense. But you are called to go forward in the promise of God. And this isn't easy. This is not easy at all. Because look look what happened to the Israelites who, by the way, for the last 40 years had been fed by bread falling from heaven. I like to call it um, King's Hawaiian Rolls. The junior hires when I taught them this because I think King's Hawaiian rolls are, are the greatest things ever. You know, you guys ever had those? Those are like the bomb. I mean, you make a sandwich out of those and it's like, oh my gosh, I think I just went into a food coma. You know, they're so good. But that's the idea. The manna was this sweet bread that fell from, and then quail would drop. And if you guys have ever had quail, nothing. I mean, Rich is back there. He knows what I'm talking about. I mean, you take quail, you wrap it in bacon. Well, you couldn't do that as a Jew, but. <laughs> I'm not a Jew. <laughs> and, and, and by the way, the Jews that now accept Jesus are like, I can eat bacon and it's cool. And so, you know, you wrap it in there and it's the greatest thing ever because quail is so tender, so good. And you eat that with the bread. And that's what they ate for 40 years. You talk about a diet from God. It was amazing. It says their shoes didn't wear out. Their clothes didn't wear out. I mean, amazing, miraculous provisions, right? That God did for them. Help them. And it says in verse 12, It stopped. Done. No more. Because they reached the promised land. God had something new for them. The truth is, when we're trusting the Lord and following His lead, we will get to a place where sometimes the manna provisions will stop. Elijah saw this. There's a great story in the book of Kings about Elijah. He fought Ahab and Jezebel. There's a reason why most girls aren't named Jezebel today, okay? Still a name that has a lot of reproach behind it, right? 
they were wicked. And they hated the fact that this prophet, this man of God, tried to stop their plans. Because they weren't going to trust God. But Elijah's like, I'm going to trust God. And he did a miraculous thing. But then there gets to a point where he's, he's running from them because they're going to kill him and he's depressed. And God takes him out to, to the, like, the, the boundaries of Israel and Judah. And he takes him out there and he, he leads him to this little brook and ravens, this unclean bird, grab meat and feed him every day with ravens. Uh, uh, they, they, they drop meat next to him. And this little brook in the Kidron Valley, it, it, it gives him water and he's able to live. And it's an awesome story. But if, what's even better about that story is, here he's, he's out there because God led him out there, and it says, but one day the brook dried up, and the ravens stopped coming. And if you're Elijah, you're probably going, God, you, 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 you took me out here, and the brook dried up. I'm thirsty. The birds stopped coming. I'm hungry. See, we've all been there. Because when you put your trust in Christ... He's living, and He's moving, and He's not about always what was, He's about what will be now. And He wants to take Elijah out from there to trust in the more promises that He has for them, just like He wants of you and me. Because what it comes down to is, are you going to obey His word and His promises? I'm going to leave you with this. Uh, Arabian horses go through rigorous training in the deserts of the Middle East. The trainers require absolute obedience from the horses and test them to see if they are completely trained. See, the final test is almost beyond endurance of any living thing. The trainers force the horses to do without water for many, many days to the point of almost when they're going to die. Then he turns the, the horse loose or the horses loose and of course they start running toward the water but just as they get to the edge of the water ready to plunge in and drink the trainer blows his whistle the horses who have been completely trained and who have learned perfect obedience stop they turn around and come pacing back to the trainer they stand there quivering wanting water but they wait in perfect obedience when the trainer is sure that he has their obedience above all else he gives them a signal to go back to drink now, this seems cruel, doesn't it? When I first read it, I was like, oh, that's so cruel. Give the horses some water, right? Really? I mean, this just seems cruel. But the truth is, if you've ever been in the desert of Arabia, it's perilous. It's dangerous. It's brutal. And they will tell you, anybody who rides a horse in that day when they were training them like this, if you didn't have a completely trained, obedient horse you and your horse would probably die because they had to learn to plug on through till they got to water. You had better have a trained, obedient horse. Obedience isn't easy. God has us on a plan. Do you trust Him? Do you trust His plan? Even when it doesn't make sense. You see, the job that you know God gave you eventually stops paying you what you need or the, they let you go and what was a source of provision from God now seems to stop and you have to rely on His promises for tomorrow. Will you trust Him? I had a full ride at Azusa Pacific University. I actually made money going to school. It was so weird. I don't, I, that's not a normal experience for a lot of people. 
And I've talked to people about this and they're like, wait, wait, what? Yeah, I bought a bed, I bought all this stuff, I could buy my books. Man, we had tons of money. And it was all because I just had good grades and for some reason God was like, here. And then, after about a semester, I had to drop everything and go clean toilets at a pizza parlor where guys would come in after a softball game, drink one too many, and pee all over everything. And it was disgusting. And I would be the guy that would go in and have to clean everything up. That was really, really difficult. And there were many times that I said, God, this doesn't make sense. I don't get it. I don't know why you're doing this. Why? And God said, are you going to obey? The desert is long. The desert is treacherous. And if you follow me, I need you to obey. Because you don't understand. But I'm bigger. And I know the road ahead. Will you trust me? I just had an opportunity to talk to Dexter and Charmaine. You talk about a tough road they're on right now. They've had deaths in their family. They've had things go... I mean, they had people going into their paychecks, taking money out, and they're going, what's going on? I mean, they've had... And then this week, what happens? Their car gets stolen. Their only car. And they're struggling. And they're looking at God and they're going, God... This doesn't make sense. And you know, God bless them, I love Dexter and Charmaine. Because if there's somebody that exemplifies obedience to a God in the moment, even when he doesn't make sense, it's Dexter and Charmaine. Because she told me today, Oh, Pastor Chris, we're trusting God. Because we know that he's doing something, even in this. Do you get that? Fearless life. Real fearless life. It's only found in the person and the plan of God. we got to obey. My hope is that you will. My prayer is that you will be one of those horses that at the end finishes the race. Amen? Lord, we thank you. We see, we see your promises. We know what you've said. But in this moment, it's hard. That's the truth. It's hard. But God, if anything exemplifies that, it's communion. Because you didn't just walk away from the hard facts of life. You got up on the cross and died so that we might have a way through. I love what Ricardo said, God. How there's the tradition in Puerto Rico that doesn't make much sense. God, the truth is, there's a lot of things in this world that don't make much sense. But that's why we look to you. And we join with the great crowd of witnesses, the heavenly horde that has done this from days of future past, who's looked to you and has said, God, I don't get it, but I know you're good. God, I don't understand in this moment, but I will continue to praise you. God, I will obey you. I will seek you. I will follow you. Lord, may we do this today. I pray, Lord, that if there's anybody here that has never said that for the first time in their life, that they would step up and say that now. They would know that you are their God. And they are your child. 
Lord, we give this time to you. And we also pray, Lord, that as we as the ushers come on forward, we would be able to give of those that are family members here, that we would give from our from our hearts. Not give at a compulsion, but give with a heart filled of love and compassion so that we can help those in our community that don't yet know there is a God in heaven who still, who still is making promises that He will keep and He will provide. So thank you, Lord. May you just be blessed in Jesus' name.